kinds of sermons. Some of those are exhortations, that is encouragement to move forward. Uh, some are exegetical, such as when we go through a biblical text, an entire book from the Torah or the prophets or the gospels or the epistles. Uh, and some are um, topical. Topical sermons can be based on a doctrine or a person uh, from the scriptures <clears throat> or a biblical concept. Last week and today, I've been dealing with biblical concepts. Uh, the concept I selected today is the result of my translation work with the New American Standard Bible. In the last, oh, I just finished going through the entire um, Older Testament um, in its almost ready to go form, and we'll be beginning Matthew to go through the New Testament. But the last book I went through was the book of Psalms. And uh, the Psalms frustrated me because of the limitations of the English language in relationship to certain Hebrew concepts. It's not that the English doesn't have the concepts uh, and equivalent meanings in some sense, but it requires several words to express uh, what the Hebrew is saying, and it's difficult when you're attempting a word-for-word, word word, what is sometimes called a literal translation. If it was a paraphrase or an amplification, uh, we have more freedom to add the words there and to give the depth of the meaning. The problem with that is, once you give one set of the depth of meaning, often words have multiple patterns, and they really don't translate from one language to another in terms of those extensions. And since when we're studying the scriptures, we're looking at the context for which of those meanings uh, is significant, it becomes problematic if you interpret for people who think that that word should be seen in a little different light. So it is frustrating. Um, so today I want to talk about a concept that I have been particularly frustrated with uh, I was debating on two of them. One of them is chesed, the idea of mercy or faithfulness or loving devotion, translated loving kindness, sometimes translated mercy. Um, any of those words are inappropriate by themselves. You almost need the whole, like a grape cluster in that sense. The other one is uh, from Psalm 130, and I decided to use that one today. So, is the heater still on? Because I'm getting really dry up here. So, oh, I can fix that. All right. So, in Psalm 130, uh, the scriptures say, Out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should, should mark really retain, count iniquities. O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you. That you may be feared. There's a word, feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than a watchman for the morning. 
indeed more than the watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is loving kindness, mercy. And with him is abundant redemption. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Now, this text. The psalmist sees the Lord as one who hears, one who gives mercy, and one who forgives. And he ultimately will redeem Israel. We have to remember that that's the focus of this text. But it will include those of us who trust in God through his, his son, who is the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world. He says if God would keep in mind and hold to account our sin, who could stand before him? And how long could we stand? But there is forgiveness with him that he may be feared. That word fear is one of those words that's problematic here. Because it does mean to take God seriously in the sense of being fearful of his judgment. And fear is the beginning of wisdom. Because it humbles us to know that we are not in charge, but God is in charge. But fear as it matures, the fear of the Lord, matures into trust of the Lord. Because we begin to experience uh, the Lord's mercy and his faithfulness. And that trust ultimately is what faith is about. Faith is more than just believing. It's not about a creed that we hold to. But it's about the trusting God who is and who is a rewarder. Of those who seek him. Now the verse that I want you to focus in. Is verse 5. Verse 5 says. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in his word. Do I hope. The word wait there. And the word hope. Are two words that get translated in English Bibles. Back and forth. One time it will say wait. And the other time it will say hope. And the next time those words will be reversed. And I don't want to do a complete word study. But the word that is in this verse translated. The reason I have this problem is. The translators are wanting to take all the places where it is said hope. And change it to wait. And they want to change everywhere where it says wait and change it to hope. And the reason is they know that the word is inadequate by itself. And they can't say what they really want to say. Which is a waiting in hope. A hopeful waiting that is part of this process. And we, we just can't do that. So my struggle is how do I footnote what was in the original NASB, because I don't want that lost, and yet I understand as they translate it more for uh, um, millennials, millennials, the word hope means a wish. And in the Bible, hope is not a wish. It's the promise of God. I wait on His word to be accomplished, is what the psalmist is saying. I'm waiting on God to do what He said He's going to do, because He is faithful He is merciful, He is gracious, and He will do it. 
And therefore, I'm not just hoping that something happens. That promise is my hope. But my trust is not in the promise. It's in the one who promised because he is faithful. How do you put that in a word? You just can't do it. The psalmist is having trouble because he keeps using the word over and over trying to, to get that expressed. I think that's probably uh, one of the better ways to say it. Um, the problem is I'd have to put expectantly in uh, a lot of verses, uses a lot of pages, and I have to italicize it, right? So, but I'm doing it in some places. So there we go. We'll see if it makes it through to the new update. Now, one of these words has the idea of an eagerly waiting for something. And the other one, a little more nuanced in the sense of a prolonged waiting. There is a delay, a tarrying that's going on. And in these two words, there is a tension. We get both the eagerness of the expectation... And the sense of the hope itself, the promise, being delayed. Now we've all had the experience of waiting for something and being very eager for its arrival and the frustration of knowing it's not going to be here for a while. My grandfather would uh, come to see us on Sundays and uh, I could always talk him into taking me to a carnival. And clearly it was my persuasive speech that got me to that. Because he would usually drive into town and say, Hey, Boots. He called me Boots because I wore cowboy boots all the time. Boots, uh, I saw this tent and this wheel type thing. And I go, Grandpa, that's a carnival. we got to go to that. Right? And he'd say, Oh, that's a good idea. Let's go to it. He did that every time. So I had a hope. And an expectation that we were going to go to that thing. And he didn't deny me anything when we were there. That was a really great time. But boy, waiting for him was awful. Just awful. So that waiting, that eagerly waiting is like when kids are on a trip. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And you all know what that's like. You know something's about to happen, you don't know when, you're waiting for it, and you watch your watch, and all of a sudden, the universe slows down. It just fails to move on. When you're eagerly expecting something, now when you're not wanting it to happen, the, the hands on the watch just fly off, right? So two strings tug at us in this text. One is the great expectation which we eagerly desire. The salvation of Israel. And if the salvation of Israel takes place, what will it be, Paul tells us, but resurrection from the dead. The salvation of all the creation. For salvation, as we read earlier, is from the Jews. You cannot separate Israel from the plan of salvation. You can't use them just as a stepping stone to get to Jesus. 
You have to see them as central to all that's going on. And when the salvation of Israel takes place, and they are the head and not the tail of the nations, then the whole world will be at peace. That is the hope. And resurrection is part of that. But it's not yet. So we have this great desire for it. And at the same time, we have the knowledge that there is a delay. The Lord said, Behold, I come quickly, some 2,000 years ago. And as I say, we always love to sing in His time, in His time. He makes all things work for good or beautiful in His time. We love that song, we love to sing it. We don't believe that. We want it in our time, and our time is now. Right. So, this notion is that uh, we are aware of, painfully aware of this delay. And, in addition, there is no statement as to how long we must wait. I may wait for death, and I may wait for the return of the Lord And I don't know when either is coming. They're both in that future. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? We look around at the... I think we're there yet. No. Right? So, how do we wait? Because we can become weary in waiting. And we're supposed to remain hopeful. That eager expectation is supposed to be there. I believe the difference is largely one of perspective. We can focus on the delay. And we can focus on the waiting. And we can watch the clock and the signs of the time. And rally ourselves into impatience. And then we shake ourselves and say, No, I'm going to get ready for the Lord to return and the end to happen and stewardship to... To be rewarded. And then we go, you know what? He's not coming right away. I can worry about it later. And I've talked about this before. Every time there's a little earthquake, we all say, oh, I'm not prepared. i got to get prepared. And then we sleep it off. We, you know, we might buy a couple things of water, get a couple of batteries, and then we're right back to hurry up and wait. We're just not doing it. So, what happens is we become weary in waiting. Weary waiting is the worst kind of waiting there is. Weary waiting wears you out. And ultimately we begin to give up the path of obedience. We begin to slack in our commitment. And Paul understood this because he wrote to the Galatians in chapter 6. These words, Galatians chapter 6. Verses 9 and 10. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul says, if you become idle, if you just focus on the delay, and you become discouraged, and you lose heart, you will begin to become unprofitable. 
The book of Hebrews, in like manner, in chapter 10 of Hebrews. Verse 36. says, You have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, I love these little while, that was written a long time ago, right? In a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But the writer is quick to say, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction. But of those who have faith, who have trust to the preserving of the soul. And then he's going to give some examples in the next chapter. So, we can wait in one of two ways. We can wait in wearily, worn out, tired expectation. Or we can have hopeful expectation. How do we do that? Well, it's about staying busy. Busy in the Lord. Now, I don't mean meaningless business, but a paced serving of the Lord. As I said, time drags when we just wait. It seems to stop and we become more and more tired. It's amazing how tired you can get waiting for a doctor. How tired you can get waiting for a train. How tired you can get waiting for something where you're just doing nothing. On the other hand, often when we're busy about things, the time goes quicker or seems to go quicker for us. And then the event arrives and, we're, and we almost didn't expect it. So, now you say, well, wait a minute. If I'm busy for the Lord, I'm going to get tired. There's two kinds of tired. There's weariness of nothing to do, nowhere to go, and all of that. That's a, that's, that wears your mind out. And then there's tired of being at a task. And that one, the Lord says, He will help us. doesn't help us with the other one. But He helps us with the one when we are busy about His work. I want you to turn to Isaiah with me. Isaiah chapter 40. Verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these stars. The one who leads them forth by number. He calls them by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. His watch care over his creation is total. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary and to the one who lacks might, he increases power. 
Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Different kind of waiting on the Lord. It's not an idle waiting. It's an expectation that says... He's keeping His word. He's doing His work. He that began a work in me will continue it. He's going to do His promises. Therefore, I can shake off this weariness. He will strengthen me and I can walk in His paths. I can walk in His ways. Trusting Him. Now, that promise is first and foremost to Israel. But it comes to us as well, just as this one does in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Our Lord says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I set a paced busyness for the Lord because he doesn't say, come to me and I will make you comatose. He says, I will give you rest. Now Israel would understand that. Six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, and you will rest. That rest is preparation for moving forward. It is not just giving up and dropping off. And therefore, we have the Lord telling us that His burden, that which we will do, is light. Because the strength comes from Him. If we try to do it in our own strength... We're in trouble. Unless the Lord builds the house, they who labor, labor in vain. And there's nothing more wearying than vain labor. But our labor in the Lord is not vain because we trust Him and His word is true. So we rest in Him. Be still and know that I am God. Ever underneath are the everlasting arms. And we do not grow weary if we're trusting and waiting on God. If we're becoming weary, we're normally becoming weary because we're giving up and we're just focused on the delay. We know that God will continue to do good work in us. And we can rest in His presence and His promises. And then out of our trust of Him, we can begin to do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. And the household of faith begins with Israel and extends to the believers from the nation. So we are to do good to all people, especially those of the household of faith. Now, we're not going to bring the kingdom sooner by waiting for it in weariness. It'll just seem longer. But if we're occupied with serving the Lord... It will begin to put our focus on the kingdom. 
And the time will pass more pleasantly as we see the Lord's watch care in our lives and in our congregation and in his people. So, the good news is, he's going to return and restore the kingdom to Israel and bring the full salvation. The bad news is, it's not going to be this year. And I don't know about the next year or the next year or the next year because he hasn't told us. And none of the prophecy writers know. Our Lord said that he didn't know and the angels of heaven don't know. That means Hal Lindsey doesn't know. That means W.A. Criswell doesn't know. That means all these other guys just don't know. Right? Maybe. So the idea is that it's going to be delayed. So we can wait wearily and just Hold on. I'm just holding on. Or we can say, I'm going to be about kingdom business. And if the Lord comes, I will greet him. And if he tarries, that reminds me of those principles of Judaism. I I believe with a complete faith in the coming of the Messiah. And even though he tarries, I will wait for him. For he will. Surely come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word.